this week's episode of the Starting Eleven podcast. Liverpool edge Southampton, Hyun Min Song makes history for Spurs, and Toronto FC get brought down to earth by a Schweinsteiger masterclass. All that and more coming right up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Hello and welcome to the Starting Eleven podcast. My name is Cengiz Khan. I am filling in for our wonderful host, Justin Barrow, because um, he is no longer with us. Unfortunately, due to a a terrible farming accident, Justin has unfortunately been lost. So from now on, I will actually currently be part of the Starting Eleven podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it was not a choice any of us wanted to make, but that's what happened. Peter, you were there when it happened. What what did you see? I mean, he should just not be farming from the start. So this is just this is just all too bad. I see. We all tried to we tried to wean him off of this habit, but we couldn't do it. So no. now the no. funny thing I is, it was Farmville. <laughs> it wasn't actually farming. <laughs> <laughs> this is no laughing matter. I have to I have to remind you all. Uh, can we just take a minute silence for uh, for a moment silence for Justin? For an F key, if it's in reach, press F. Yes, press F to pay respects. <laughs> no, actually, he's, he's, he's not here because he's rehearsing for his uh, stage play. <laughs> Sorry, had to do it, Justin. I know you, you're listening, um, but it had to be done. Anyways, I'm Cengiz Khan. I am going to be your host for tonight. Tonight? Today? This week's episode? Even? I'm already messing it up. With me today on this podcast is Peter Robinson. Support local football, as always. And what is now, I suppose, official, officially part of the starting 11, Andre McRae. It's always good. It's always good. Beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous podcast and a beautiful game. I, <laughs> I think we ought to give him a, a round of applause, Peter, for, for successfully forcing his way onto the starting 11 <laughs> podcast. Oh my God, it's like all of my relationships. I forced my way in, oh, and now I'm here to disappoint you. Excellent, excellent. We can't, <laughs> we cannot wait for the, some of the burden to be passed on to you, because we're disappointing all the time. Don't worry. Um, and also, it's another announcement. Casey Liana is now also part of the Starring Eleven podcast in an official social media website guru wizardry. What's, what do we? What's the best title for her? Uh, probably the person who's actually doing hard work. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the only person who was actually giving a shit about this podcast, Casey Liana, the official. Yeah, let's give her a round of applause. Welcome, welcome. Okay, now let's get right into the podcast. Let's actually pretend like we know what we're talking about for a second. We're going to start off the podcast this week talking about the Premier League, Southampton versus Liverpool. This is the part where Justin says, so Cengiz, what did you think about it? But I have to ask myself what I thought about it. And uh, wow, I was clenched up. My biggest takeaway from Southampton versus Liverpool, it was 3-1 to Liverpool at the end. Salah scoring. I'm so happy he's back. I'm so happy that he's in amongst the goals and he scored a world-class goal. Did you guys see it? I actually, again, everybody's going to go back and and rewatch it. I didn't get to see the game, but I actually did get to listen to it because it was at work. And obviously at first, anybody kind of looking at it was was shocked at Southampton getting a goal right off the hop. But then Mm. it, it, it was, it was looked like it was all Southampton's way. But as soon as that first goal came in from Keita, it went right downhill and very quickly. And it was, it was a, I can, I can honestly say for a goal, that was a beautiful one from Salah. You can't, 
that was that was worth him taking off his shirt for his card to get to get that yellow. I mean, you oh, have 100%. to sort of think of it as the giant weight that's lifted off of Nabi Keita's shoulders now. He finally has his first goal for pool. He's kind of getting a few more minutes now mm-hmm. um, going into the starting 11 as opposed to coming off the bench. So I, I think things are looking up for him. But can we talk about how dangerous Southampton looked on the counterattack? Oh, my God. They really did. Hassan Hoodle having after come in mid-season, he's done a really good job at Southampton. You know, after after the negative football of the last manager, he's just completely turned it around. They were a really dangerous side. It's just it's nice to see those those mid-table teams actually put up not not one-off lucky fights where they just got a goal and then people scrambled and they just happened to get it. But but a right. consistent and dangerous pushing side because it makes it more interesting. And then the better side clearly wins in the case of Liverpool, but it's not a demoing. It's not a 3-1 with a lucky goal. It's a 3-1 where at any point things could have gone south quickly. Yeah, no, absolutely. Like it was never really a foregone conclusion. Even though when you look at the fixture, you see Liverpool in good form, you have them favourites to the title race, you have the most dangerous attacking three in probably all of Europe. So this should be an easy win for Liverpool. It's It's got Liverpool win written all over it, but it really didn't feel like it. I felt at any point Southampton could have made it two or even three. They were just that good. I mean, if, if Shane, if Hassan Hoodles managed to get Shane Long in and amongst the goals, then he's doing something right, you know? Um, yeah, so it was generally quite a good game, but I have to say Liverpool were fitter on the day. By around the 60th, 70th minute, you can kind of tell Southampton were gassed. They were really not able to keep up with the pace of Liverpool. And that's just because of Liverpool's style of play. They keep switching the ball, they pass it around, they make really, really frequent runs into the box, which are very, very hard to track from the midfield and from the from the back four. Salah getting his goal again, just a huge weight off his, sh- off his shoulders, as well as Navigator's shoulders getting his first goal. Uh, and then Henderson, of all people, to, to finish it off, which might <laughs> shut up his uh, detractors for about three seconds until they forget about him, <laughs> about the goal. But yeah, no, not not a whole lot more I can add to that. I'm just I'm just glad we got the result. I'm glad that we we came away with the win and uh, our momentum coming into yeah. this uh, final title run in season is looking good, honestly. And we have a relatively easy run of games too. So it's it's anybody kind of listening. The the thing that what I'm going to point out is kind of a little bit humorous. Me a little and bit. Peter are a little <laughs> bit at odds ends with the team we like to support in the Premier League for possibly some obvious reasons. <laughs> Arsenal are better. But what I can honestly say, though, is it's nice to see at least City and Liverpool going neck and neck. And Peter, you may agree with me on this one, that neither one of these teams winning is a good scenario. Because if Liverpool wins, <laughs> we're never going to hear the end of it. But if City oh wins, can you stop with that? <laughs> if City wins, if Come City on. wins, they have the chance of winning the quadruple, and that is not good either because there's not even enough people in Manchester to support Manchester City. So, <laughs> like, it, it's it's like a double edged sword. Like you 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 want neither to win it, but one has to, and you just don't know which one to pick. So at least it's good for me to just watch them win to win to win and, you know, Liverpool don't lose twice and then they go on a tear and it's just clear, right? I'd love to see last game of the season, it's down to the last two games, right? Yeah, I'd actually rather see, sorry, Chengiz, I'd rather see City win the title just so that Liverpool fans don't have anything to talk about 
They could talk about how close okay, they got. Seriously, no, 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 no. I'm sh- no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm not having this. You want now oil-backed team with now, no passion now to I win this happy. title over long-suffering be- Liverpool fans? Come on, now. You are, that is an anti-football thing to say. I'm sorry. It would be. You're I would much rather. Money. Come I on. would much rather see City win the league and you guys win the Champions League. I'll be honest. Yeah, sure. Take the Champions League. Is that fair? Is that not fair? No, 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 no. We need to win. (laughs) Okay. I want us to win the league really badly because we we won the Champions League and we went really close last year. I was really happy the run that we we put together. If I had to pick one, I'd pick the league. Of course. Of course. Anyone would pick the league. Domestic. Well, City wouldn't. Domestic is always off. I mean, that's because they've won the league in the past few years. (laughs) But I mean. Bought the league. A Champions League win would be huge for City, let's be honest. It would be yeah. huge for Spurs. It would be huge for Manchester United. It would be huge for Liverpool. Uh, mm-hmm. Any English success is always going to be sort of weighted that much higher than, say, Real Madrid or Barcelona winning the Champions League because they've done it so often in the past few years. Um, with it, And monetarily-wise, it's actually better to win, obviously, the Champions League than it is to win the league at home like you get more money out of a win from the champions league than you do that from depends the that depends on the league though i'm pretty sure the premier league is is a lot more lucrative than say Liga, la liga calcio a you know yeah when you combine you have to remember you're it's not just the win every stage you're getting massive chunks of money oh that's true that's right true, so yeah. when you combine it all together you want to talk about lucrative there's no comparison that's one of the issues with spurs sorry i'm going to drag on you here for a second <laughs> getting where they are the amount of money that they've gotten from getting where they are there's no excuse not to buy somebody and it's then it's going to come down to they have the money they're just not going to do it well they got a billion dollar stadium to pay off with no naming rights so you know we got a lot of debt so then up. when we're paying off our stadium that's <laughs> doesn't look like a toilet bowl, don't rag on us and we don't buy anybody. <laughs> Looks like a toilet seat. <laughs> Anyways, um, speaking of Spurs and speaking of that stadium, Spurs versus Crystal Palace Woo! in the middle of the week. Hyunming Song getting their first goal. How do you feel about that? I feel really good about that. I mean, he's a fan favorite, so really, who better other than Harry Kane, obviously, to score the first goal? I think uh, it, it's kind of fitting with the season that Sons had as well for him to score the first goal. You know, the stadium looked great. The intro looked great. Um, and it just, that, that the big giant stand that they have now, um, sort of like the grandstand that they put in, it just looks great. The I, I was worried about the camera angle. I thought if the camera angle's too high, it's going to ruin the viewing effect of the stadium uh, from home. But, you know, it was low enough that it, it actually looked sort of like White Hart Lane, the way that the viewing angle was. So... I think that was really important. They got that right. They got the intro right. Probably would have been better to have a more notable uh, artist opening the stadium. I forget who it was who uh, who did the music, but I had never even heard of them before. <laughs> he does he does commercials for I think it's like a betting company or or some. He just he does like an operatic commercial for them. I mean, come on! You could have gotten like Adele. She's a Spurs supporter. You could have gotten Adele to do the. No, no, no. The only person, the only person who would have done anything memorable was Pitbull. Yeah, he did a World Cup. Uh, <laughs> Pitbull final. <and> Shakira, <laughs> Mr. Worldwide. He would have been perfect. I, that would have been good. I mean, who cares? Get like Robbie Williams. I don't care. Get someone who will, people have heard. Get someone people have heard of before. As if, as if Spurs weren't already the meme banter club <laughs> enough. Of, of this season. Get Robbie Williams to open the stadium. Okay. Right, I think... Any other, any other great ideas? 
I mean, you know what? It, it it's. I really want to end up going to the stadium. I feel like that's going to be something I'll probably get done next year. Um, you know, I, I was at White Hart Lane when they were starting to tear it down, and it was kind of sad. So now I want to go back and see uh, see a totally rebuilt stadium. Yeah. I will, I will say, though, like, obviously where, you know, my, my disdain comes for Tottenham, that does suck that they tore down the old grounds. I know there's not a lot of room in London, but it, it is always, like, you know, Highbury, we still had a while. Even West Ham still had theirs. Like, you, you a lot of them keep the old stadiums because then they use them as community bases. Right. So to see them, like, just be like, no, we're just going to tear it down and build it up. It's like, oh, okay, wow. So they built it right on top of the old White Hart Lane, right? So they expanded a little bit and built it right on top of the uh, the old location. So realistically, I mean, really, they just built sort of a, a refab uh, stadium on top of the old one. They put, they put that lovely little disc in the center that we we got to see where we won the last <laughs> time at White Hart Lane when there was a title one. But jokes aside, I will point out it was, it was very, not nice, but almost disheartening, uh, pun intended there, to watch Harry Kane struggle and want to get a goal on the opening of that new stadium, and he just couldn't get it, couldn't get it, couldn't get it. And obviously, he gets outpaced time and time again by Sun. So you could just almost see the frustration on his face every time nothing went in or the shot didn't mm-hmm. go in. And he wanted that goal in the new stadium. And out of probably all the players, he's probably the one you couldn't buy out. No. And so that that from just the concept of a, a fan of, of the whole sport, that sucks. That has to suck. It's always nice when you get that fairy tale ending that fairy tale result um but it just wasn't meant to me but on the plus side the stadium does look pretty nice lots of talk being said about it looking like a toilet bowl <laughs> but uh for me it reminds me of a uh, stad velodrome marseille stadium and the acoustics of that stadium are special like to be in the velodrome is insane you w- watch you any youtube video of the velodrome it's loud and i imagine the new spurs stadium will end up being sort of the same deal with that sort of that just all-encompassed arena of noise on mm-hmm. on a european night for example so let's let's shift gears a little bit about and with respect to spurs let's talk about the run-in for spurs a little bit they had that routine win over over tottenham they've got they've got city to play next i believe city three times the next four matches how are you feeling about those games there not Peter? feeling great i'll be honest with you city obviously they're making a push for the title they're also making a push in the champions league so we play them twice in the champions league um over the next uh, few weeks you know we're gonna get to know uh how strong city is and how much they want the league and how much they want the champions league over the next few weeks I, i'm kind of i'm kind of scared i'm not going to be honest or i'm going to be honest uh it's kind of a situation where if we drop all three of those matches against city you have to really really look at the squad that we have and Maurizio pochettino um, I know that might be kind of unfair to say, but, you know, if, if he can't pull some sort of tactical masterclass against Pep Guardiola in order to get even a couple draws or, yeah. um, you know, a, a win at least, you have to start to ask questions because if it's not working, you know, you, you're going to have to invest for next season. At the same time, nobody's going to blame Pochettino too much if they lose against City three times an hour because they their depth is unparalleled. Not even Liverpool can match their depth. Not yes, really. Yes I get that, no, but you, you these guys think. are getting drained out, right? Like they have to play all cup competitions. They still have the FA Cup that they have to deal with. They still have the league. You should be able to just sneak one by just on pure, you know, 
strain on these players. Like you're basically playing a war of attrition right now with City. So as great as these players are, Pochettino has to understand that he there's no way Guardiola is going to play everybody to their full strengths. He has to give people breaks and he's going to have to look at them and and use them to his advantage, you know, knowing when to sub people on and off and knowing when to use pace because for right now as as terrible as it's going to be for Tottenham to have those three man city games, that's where that's all there is. There's no other Nobody's getting pulled away. Nobody's getting. Nobody's really injured. Like it's it's a full strength squad against a squad that's going to be taxed and taxed heavily. Right. And so now the question about first and second eleven starts to become a little bit more pertinent. Do you think Andre that Guardiola is going to split the first eleven and try and field an equal strength team for all three matches, or is he explicitly going to have his first eleven and his second eleven split between the between the matches? Does he play his second eleven in the Premier League? Um, and reserve the first eleven for the uh, for the Champions League, or does he do the reverse, or does he do a bit of? Half you know, I half? think it's going to be hard to say. But personally, I, I doubt that he's going to be playing a second eleven in the Champions League because he's going. I think he wants that more. And just as Peter said, he's already had the league. Like he's got the league. He's managed to snag that. So now he wants the Champions League. Now they want that European trophy. They want that little bit of extra accolades. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say that they'll probably end up putting in a second 11 team or a weakened team for the Premier League, knowing or hoping that maybe Liverpool will draw or drop a point. And that's kind of the hope or the gamble. And so then that way they can focus on that final push because Tottenham has no, like they're not going to win the league. It's not going to happen. So they don't have to worry about that game. They can do whatever, take their time, whatever it is. But they have a way back into the Champions League if they win it, right? And if they knock yes. out City, then City's whole goal and whole quadruple thing, the thing that's never been done before, which is you can guarantee is sitting in the back of Pep's mind that he can he can have that one record, right? The, you know, Arsenal fans right. are very keen to hang on to that one record. That will be his one record. So I bet you he's going to be pushing hard for the Champions League and then hoping that maybe Liverpool will will you know, choke a little bit and then put out a second field during the Premier League. Spurs are going to have to go all out in the, in the Champions League because realistically we're dropping in the league. So like Andre said, this is our best way to get back into the Champions League, to have Champions League football for the full season next uh, next year without... You don't think that they're going to finish top four? Uh, not the way that they're playing right now. I feel like Arsenal's playing a little bit better. Uh, Chelsea's playing better. United's playing better. There's a realistic opportunity that we might finish fit place mm. um you know if we don't start pulling out some league wins obviously we'd be we'd be palace but you know we play city our next match um and that again it it, well, it really depends on what pep does yeah well i mean even leaving aside what pep does from a tottenham perspective it's a tough call to make because you have to you have to kind of weigh up can city i mean tottenham can can beat anybody on their day right but to to play city three times twice in the champions league one at home one away you know there's no there's no guarantee that 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 those results are going to go tottenham's way but if they save their starting 11 for that league game against city there's a real chance they can come away with a very good result and but you then risk you know having somebody not fit or injured for that Champions League game and even just from the monetary standpoint that's that's your go-to when you're only fighting for a top four spot and you know 
City or Tottenham ends up in the Europa League in the fifth spot, like that's still a pretty good game for them because they they can breeze through. I can say this comfortably, breeze right through Europa. That's not a problem for them. They'll blast right, right through it. But if you you put all your eggs in that basket and hope for the best on that league spot, great. You won against City. That still doesn't mean that the other teams aren't going to have higher points at the end of it because it's not a one-two system. You right. have four games, five games left. Well, any anything can happen. Anything can tweak out. And you know what? You might have got a great win against City on a 2-1 win. But if you're still two points behind and can't catch up, you've, you've effectively thrown them I all mean, into the I mean, granted, we basket. play Brighton, Huddersfield, Bournemouth, and Everton to finish the season. But you never know. In West Ham. I mean... Let's put it this way. Uh, Huddersfield is playing just right. Yeah. That, that's, so they're going to come out hard. Not, not playing particularly well, but still playing for pride no. nonetheless. But at, least, but at least they're playing, right? Um, yeah. I mean, Brighton, another team that is probably going down this year. But they're, still, it, but they're, they're, they're in the thick of it, right? So you'd expect yeah. that to be a dogfight. Yeah. So there's going to be a little bit of... Uh, a challenge for Spurs, let's say, to to actually finish top four. So they really need to put all their eggs almost in the Champions League basket. And why wouldn't you? When you have that chance for big money, big ties, I'm would, a bit, I'm a bit worried about Spurs' depth, honestly. I mean, yes, the run-in is a little bit easier than most other teams and most of the top four teams. Um, so you could afford to field a, a kind of a weekend eleven in case somebody does get injured in that in in those Champions League games, but um, yeah, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about them just going all out for the for those three games, feel the same eleven, and then just coast to the end on a, on a weekend side? Do, does Spurs even have the depth for that? I don't think they have the depth, but I feel like that's what they need to do. Yeah. Um, you take your chance. <clears throat> they have the internationally tested players is what I think they have best going for them is players that have been picked up for international, have played internationally and have, you know, been kind of worn and weary. So I think that's what they'll have going. And that's kind of what they're going to have to rely on because if one person gets injured or is tired, there's some issues. There's some yep. serious issues. Yep, for sure. All right, let's move on to Everton versus Arsenal. Andre, what the hell happened, man? You know... <sighs> One nil, this by the way, to Everton. Phil Jagielka. Yeah, bad, bad, bad host. Sorry. So just to reiterate, no, it's okay. Everton, Everton beat Arsenal by a score of one to nil. That's just to, just one more time for safety. One. No, sorry, I, I had to. What? Okay, no, it's, but seriously, what happened? It's it's honestly it's it's like I call it the curse of the one nil. Arsenal have a lot of difficulty when we go one nil down. If we do that before the half, we have a lot of trouble backing it up and sort of making it into a 1-1 game or even allowing it to go to a 2-0 game we seem to be able to somehow defensively pick up the slack and prevent yeah. another goal which would have been really great to do that before we went down we're, we're we're working on an antiquated Wenger era squad and this is really this is really kind of hurting us everybody who's watched Arsenal over the past year or five has said the back line is just in concert like they're just horrifically bad like i, I was gonna say there was a, a lot of comments on the internet said it could have been two three or even four nil this game oh it could have easily been that way it was as soon as as soon as phil managed to sneak that goal in for everton it just you know which again was questionable itself and we'll come back to that it, it, we were on this this chasing scenario 
and you had to start looking at them. So the next subs that came off, like Elneny with Ramsey and Klasinac and Aubameyang, like you basically ended up having to be like, oh God, we have to switch this out. We have to change the tactics mid-game. It, it's, it was just not worth it. And even to bring a Wobi on for Ozil, like that that says where the panic mode set in of, of we need try to get some pace and try to go forwards. But it, there was nothing we could do. There was no way that that attacking force could get around Everton that was, that was just parking the bus. It was just a, got the one goal, saw the frustration and the flusteredness, and just parked the bus. It seemed like a game that really needed Aubameyang and Lacazette to be starting together. I don't, and- I don't understand why Emery is so adverse to just starting two strikers. He is just absolutely very no Wenger way. of him. <laughs> it is very Wenger, and I think that's what's scary for a lot of us. Is please stop. You have two strikers. One of them has a lot of goals. For the love of God, put them on. What are you doing? Yeah, and stop playing Mustafi. <laughs> Just take one of those like training people, like those little pylons that look like people, and stick it where Mustafi would be, I mean, and leave it there. And that's mean, probably going to be better. Are you suggesting that Mustafi, inside right winger Mustafi, who had that world class run against Newcastle, are you saying he's not the best defender in your squad right now? I'm, I'm going to say right now that if if there was a way to give somebody a red card before the game started. I would advocate <laughs> for that. And it would be better for all of us to play with 10 people and not him. And I just, you know what? Maybe he goes to a different club and I don't want to hopefully see him break his leg. <laughs> but I doubt it. It's just, he's so godforsakenly terrible. And until we can at least get Bellerin back and holding back and these other players that have been out right from the start of the year. We're we're pretty much stuck with it to the end of the year, and we're we're playing we're playing the game. Is our offense better and good enough to make up for our defense? Which generally the answer is no. I think we should go on more podcasts all around the internet and advocate kicking Mustafi. Anyways, <laughs> we'll we'll oh. talk about we'll talk about that later. Um, let's talk about that goal for a second because it was controversial. Uh, Lucas Digne takes a long throw in uh, close to the corner flag. He and and from the ensuing uh, melee melee. I'm not sure how to say that word. From the from the the ensuing chaos, uh, Jagielka pokes at home. But Lucas Digne's foot was seemingly past the line when he took it. Peter, is that illegal? Should that have stood? Should it have been called? Is VAR ever going to be implemented? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. To me, it's a foul throw. Um, You know, you can't step into the field of play. You can't even step on the line. Um, when you're throwing the ball in. Mm-hmm. So obviously it has to be a foul throw. The linesman missed it. The referee missed it. It's just another, you know, another, uh, another thing that goes up to why VAR is supposed to be the savior of refereeing in the Premier League. Um, you know, if that hadn't happened, Jai Gelka wouldn't have scored. It, that's, a, that's an early goal. Like that's not even <clears throat> midway through or not far enough away or, or is like halfway and oh well we can get that's an early goal and that shakes up the whole whole scenario and especially if these players see that that happened 
your whole faith in the the refereeing system just goes down. And when you look at just implying the there was any there system, to begin with, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, well, I guess my main question is: Was there? I I, di- I didn't see the afters of the goal, but was there players sort of going and questioning the referee and the linesman as to if it was a foul throw? More, more so for a potential offside, but replay showed that Jack Gelka was an offside. Uh, I think everybody missed the, okay. the the foul throw. They were just more concerned with how far he threw it. It was a very long throw, in fairness. But yeah, no, for for me, looking back at that, I was just thinking, hang on, that's that's a foul throw, and I'm surprised the, the referee missed that. I'm, surpri- I'm I mean, the linesman's on the other side of the pitch; he can't see it, but. Um, yeah, that should that should have been VAR. There should have been some sort of check for sure. I should think VAR would have caught that. But we're not going to get caught up in that discussion for yet another VAR. week. We know what is and what isn't. Um, the last thing I want to talk about with regards to this game before we move on uh, quickly to talk about the FA Cup result between Watford and Wolves is the dogfight for fourth. Andre, Unai Emery, away games this season, 26 scored, 28 conceded, no clean sheets. They're three points behind Chelsea, game in hand though, and the four out of the reigning six games are away. Something's yeah. gonna change, yeah? We, we've we got to change up some tactics or entirely scrap the system that we're using. Again, harking back to just that two people up front could make a world of difference. It could mean nothing, but it could mean mm. a world of difference. And Emery's got the same problem that Wenger does. And when you have two different groups of people, which you can definitely see a style change, you can tell it's the players. They're just not able to just put these things away at home. They're just not able to to sort of produce anything when they're away from home, which is hilarious because as much as I love Arsenal, the atmosphere is not what it used to be. So you should be fine going to some of these away clubs and producing some results. So the hope is that these other teams are able to really kind of drop these points because when you look at what we have left, I don't think we should have as much of a problem. But I also said that about Everton, right? Yeah. I don't know, with, with Watford's kind of push upwards and Crystal Palace, I, I don't see us winning a significant amount. So really, in my personal opinion, the hope is going to come down to whether or not Chelsea can kind of do what they've been doing all season and, and have an issue with Sorry and his tactics. And then you but there's no sign of, of just, that right now. I know, which is unfortunate for us, but it, it is what it is. Like we have, yeah, lower teams, but seeing that issue with Everton, unless an overall happens and, you know, the next starting 11 that I see for Arsenal is really changed up or the formations change. It's got me. It's got me panicked, and it'll be a, it'll be an absolute dogfight. So, absolutely. Uh, and I think with with everything going on, I mean, Tottenham have a relatively easy run of fixtures. They have a good squad, injuries permitting. Arsenal and their questions about away their away form when the majority of their their running is away. Uh, then you have Chelsea, who they're not winning fluently, but they are winning, and that mixes it up. And uh, we know that United will just end up six because for all of uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's revitalization, sorry, Justin, uh, they haven't moved <laughs> in the table. They're still sixth. I mean, I think that this top four race, so fourth place, is going to come down to goal differential. You think? Yeah. I, well, look, Spurs, United, and Arsenal, there's three points between them. So mm. Spurs on 64, Arsenal 63, Manchester United 61. 
goal differential between Tottenham and Arsenal is 26 and 25. Uh, and then Manchester United obviously has 18. But you have to you have to start scoring goals. You have to actually increase that goal differential because mm-hmm. at the end of the season, that could be the make or break. So I feel like Spurs' final few games, unless they get blown out by City, they have to go for the neck. They have to go for the jugular on Huddersfield. They got to go for the neck and the jugular on Brighton. They just got to put in three or four goals each of those matches. Hopefully, Hugo Lloris can keep a few out. Um, and then we'll, we'll see what happens. But let's try and increase that goal differential. Well, yeah, us keeping a clean sheet away. <laughs> Ooh, that whole thing that, you know, we just can't seem to do. Yeah, if we don't really, like, bunker down and stop conceding, we are. that is going to be the nightmare. That's going to be the downfall. Like, well, we, you could always get uh an emergency contract for per murder it's not like he, he relies on pace anyways i mean and murder would also be able to win a ball in the air something that arsenal doesn't seem to be able to do right now from set pieces so that's because we gave away Giroud, and i miss him yeah. so much <laughs> do, you, do you keep a picture of him on your bedside table I, st- I didn't I didn't rip up his jersey when he left, but you can bet the Sanchez jerseys were, <laughs> were demoed as soon as possible. Burned to a crisp. All right, before we get into uh, Andre's complicated daddy issues with Alexis Sanchez, <laughs> let's uh, let's go let's talk a little bit about Watford versus Wolves in the FA Cup. Heartbreak for uh, for Wolves who were two 0 up with eleven minutes to go. Matt Doherty and Raúl Jiménez getting the early well. Matt Doherty with the 36-minute goal, Raul Jimenez with the 62-minute goal. Both goals very well taken, very good goals for, for a game set at Wembley. Then De Lefeo comes in and just turns the game on his head, has a really good finish on the 79th minute. Very, very Pozzabello, if I have to say. <laughs> you know, just a chip out of nothing inside the, uh, the 18-yard box. Then uh, Troy Deeney wins a penalty, converts it with real conviction at the 94th minute, the last kick of the game, basically. And then in extra time, Dale Lefeo breaks away and he rounds the keeper. Well, he doesn't round the keeper. He rounds the defender and slots it past the keeper really, really classily to win the game 3-2 at the 104th minute. What a game, eh? I mean, it, it was a great game to watch against two teams that are sort of evenly matched in the Premier League right now. That's why I love the FA Cup. Um, you know, you, you get the upsets, but you also get teams that, let's be honest, they don't really have anything to play for in the Premier League right now. They're going to finish mid-table. They're, there's no real opportunity for them to make Champions League. There's a Euro, Europa League spots, but realistically, there's nothing for them to play for except for the FA Cup mm. right now. So when you get these kind of games, it's just end-to-end. I, I just really enjoyed watching it. It was... The best case scenario for both teams. Wolves had had managed to go just almost uncontested, had dominated so much of the game, and then Watford gets the goal, which brings life back into the game. So now you have that real. This this is a possibility, and just the fact that that penalty is called at the absolute last moment, like that's that's an entire city mm. just taking off all of their nails. <laughs> Just biting, you can guarantee that they were like, oh my God, please break your toe or yeah. something. And you could just, you could almost hear them gnawing at the bit for it. So it's Troy Dini. He's made a, a tougher stuff than that. He's not going to, he'd keep running through a brick wall if it, if it was down to him. 
Um, but it was a good story for him, good story for the club. Like he, he said after the game, he was basically in tears to be like in, in 12, he said 12 years ago, I was paying 10 pound a week to play football. Now I'm in the FA Cup final. I mean, really good story for him. And and honestly, for both clubs, it's been a, a, a real season to remember. Like Watford, very clearly best of the rest in the Premier League. Uh, but Wolves have had have really done themselves proud. They've really taken the fight to all of the top six and they scrapped, well, they didn't scrap to the to get to the semifinals, but they really fought tooth and nail and, and proved that they're much more than just a scrappy outfit that just that were recently promoted, right? There was definitely a lot of technicalities out of them and, and little star players from Wolves. It was a great season to be proud of. They can end it on a high note. They can push hard. And Watford now has a chance at silverware. And you know what? If they're able to actually pull out again, that's that's why this is a beautiful game. You, it was almost done and dusted. You just kind of assumed, well, that's it. It's done. It's 90th minute. And then anything can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen. And you can just find yourself in a situation like that. So that's it really proved the volatility of the sport because as soon as you're comfortable – that's when you can really end up conceding like they have. And they got just too panicky, needed a tackle, needed a tackle, needed a tackle, and mm-hmm. ended up causing them the game. I'm yep. going to be pulling for Watford really hard <laughs> to beat City in the FA Cup final. I, that's I, that's a universal one with all three oh, of us. Oh, I 100%. But yeah, my biggest thing is pulling for Hurelio Gomez um, to <laughs> win some silverware. You know, expert as goalkeeper. Ben Foster has come out and said that he doesn't want to play the FA Cup final. That Jurelio Gomez played the uh, semifinal. They've won. You know, he's he's retiring at the end of the season. He let him let him try. Let him try to win that silverware at the end of the season. So I'm looking forward to watching the game. I know you guys are looking forward to watching the game. Um, I think it's going to be a good one. Yep, hundred percent. And that's going to be it for part one of the Starting Eleven podcast. Coming up on part two, we're going to be talking about Toronto FC, MLS, and some juicy transfer rumors, and a very controversial take on how to deal with skilled players. All that and more coming right up on the Starting Eleven podcast. Hey everyone, if you've liked what you've heard so far, please subscribe, leave a rating and a review to let us know what you think about the show. We would also love to hear from you. So please, if you have any questions, comments or concerns, please send them our way over at the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. That's the starting XI podcast at gmail.com. For more general abuse, be sure to at us and follow us over at XI podcast on Twitter. Now, let's get back to it. Welcome back to the Starting Eleven podcast, part two. We're going to be talking about Toronto FC to begin with. Toronto FC drew 2-2 with Chicago Fire. Um, surprising results on the balance of things? Um, kind of? It, it was. There's no, way, there's no way to go into this game, especially not after that first one when Pozuelo shows up and you have just that outstanding performance from everybody and it's cohesive. And then we get that earlier goal earlier I say in the 31st minute and it's just you kind of get the you know what we're on we're going we're going hard um Larea's working great <clears throat> Pozuelo's doing fantastic they're all putting their their work in and then as soon as Hippon got the goal it was like all right well we still got this momentum let's really push it and when Nikolik got the secondary one it really just put a stop 
and yeah. it almost just felt like the momentum came to a grinding halt and it was like oh okay we went from being a good powerhouse to now we've really gotta start to to, to damage collect like we're doing yeah. damage control so yeah let's just recap those goals to begin with so the first goal was scored by Jose Altador from a Pozzuolo cross Pozzuolo taking up the ball on the right wing great cross great cross it was a fantastic run it was a very simple finish at the end of the day but it was good like this partnership between Pozzuolo and Altador is already extremely promising they're both very intelligent footballers and I think they feed off each other in the in that sense because it does seem at times like the rest of the squad does lack the kind of experience and the footballing brain that these two clearly have from years of playing on the continent. Second goal was by CJ Sapong on Chicago Fire uh, to, to equalize just before halftime. It was a ball over the top after a giveaway by Drew Moore. Um, it fell very kindly to Sapong, who had a really good touch. Mavinga tried to close him down, but Sapong's first touch was really, really good. And then he chips Alex Bono, who is, for whatever reason, I'm still trying to figure out why he's off his line, but he is off his line. Chips Bono, and it goes into the back of net, and that's half time. Nikolic's goal uh, to make it 2-1 to fire was, again, a goal that really shouldn't have happened. Laria gives it in just outside of our initial third and they take it they take it spread it to the left wing cross comes in and Nikolic splits the defenders he goes through Michael Bradley's channel splits the defenders between Moore and Mavinga and has an easy easy finish for that goal Osorio thankfully gets the equalizer in the 76th minute uh, from yet another cross from the right wing and heads it home it was a fantastic header and honestly yeah, I don't know. I mean, we, we definitely got a lot of um, we got a lot of joy out of Chicago's right side for sure. It just wasn't working for us in the middle. But I have to say, like for me, I can't get over the fact that Bono yet again screwed the pooch. Why yeah, is he I still? To, I, why is he still in the MLS? Why haven't we replaced I, him yet? Like real quick before we get into it, I, I hate to rag on the guy, but like it's becoming increasingly clear that whatever drove him. In the 2016 season, 2017 season, it's not there. And it's it's not, I don't know where it's gone. I don't know where that mojo has gone. And he's making very basic mistakes. Him coming off that line when Mavinga had him covered, that just says to me he's not in command of his box. He's not communicating with the centre-backs. And maybe he doesn't trust his centre-backs, which I don't blame him because, well, I'll sound biased because it's Mavinga, but <laughs> like, I mean, that back line doesn't inspire confidence and... I wouldn't blame Bono for feeling like he had to do it all himself. But in that situation, he hasn't read it well at all. Like, Mavinga had him covered. That goal doesn't happen if Bono stays on his line. Well, there's no need for him to be out there. He's trying to be the the keeper now that's going out and going twice as hard or getting these items that he wasn't getting before. But it's not working. It's it's really not. So, you know, maybe there's a time for we have to do an Irwin. We, we have to put someone in there mm. and see if it's a... He maybe just needs a moment to relax, to, to reinvigorate himself. Watch another keeper. Who I mean, knows? Let's, let's put Vesperg in and see what happens. Because realistically, Bono's not doing it. Every game, there seems to be something. It's, it's, he's out of position. He's getting beat short side. He's not commanding the box. I don't know what it is about him, but he has absolutely no confidence right now. He's, he's making mistakes left, right, and center. He's not really... 
he's not really being a great shot stopper and that's kind of what he was known for when he came into the MLS was that he was a good shot stopper he wasn't good with distribution at least at least he's not flapping crosses like he was at the beginning of the season and I mean it was telling for me last week when we were talking about Bono that we were praising him for doing the absolute bare minimum as a keeper exactly exactly (laughs) and doing doing it well well Um, I, I think but something's got to give the frustration with him is that his development has become so slow. We're, like like you said, we are praising this guy for taking across a game, which is which is horrible, <laughs> horrible. You're you're professional, and Toronto FC has the clout to go and get a better goalkeeper. You know, make a trade if you have to. Try Vesberg, do something. You know, at one point. Let's remember, we had Julio Cesar as our goalkeeper. Bring back Greg Sutton. At least he could make saves. <laughs> yeah. Even Fry. Just be like, yeah. look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, that's the thing, though. I, I don't back. think he'll come back now. He's what? One, he's won at least one with Seattle. Um, and I mean, yeah. Again, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, and we returned the favor. Don't worry. Don't worry. I know. Uh, but you know what we do? We do have to. We have to put on the other one. We have to see. We have to try because the way it's working right now, we're relying on our offense to outscore our defense. And what what do we have to lose? Oh no, new guy concedes two goals. Well, yeah. Speaking, it's already been the case. Right? Speaking of of uh, relying on our offense, um, by way of talking about how bad our defense is, Mavinga again. Uh, responsible, uh, in my opinion, for that second goal. When I when I saw the replay, when, initially when I saw it, I thought oh, Bradley hasn't kept up with him. He hasn't tracked it. There's a failure of communication. But the more I look at it, that cross coming in, sure, okay, that ball should not have been in that position in the first place. Laria definitely is at fault for losing it there. He had a lapse in concentration in an otherwise fantastic debut. I think we can all agree. Yeah, I think he, he acquitted himself quite well. Mm. But for that moment where he gave the ball away, it was spread to the left wing, and there was no communication between Drew Moore and Movinga. And maybe they didn't hear Michael Bradley, but Nikolic came in from the midfield. He had a late surging run. And for some reason... Mavinga drifts to the far post as if to cover the left back slot, but there's nobody there. Which makes no sense. Exactly. It doesn't make any sense as to why you would do that because you know the cross, is, the cross isn't going to come absolutely square because Bono has the square. He's covering the square. So it's going to be pulled back. So you don't need to cover that back post. What you need to do is come into the middle because that's where the ball is going to be. Right. And maybe I'm maybe I'm a bit biased because I do watch a lot of Premier League football and you see really next level defenders all around that league. What they all have in common is they look around like a couple of times uh, every every five seconds or so just to make sure they're aware of the situation. I don't think Mavinga looks around. I think he's very well, you've tunnel got, vision. You've got the issue of, of all your DPs, all your big money and everything is all spent on attackers. You know, you only have so many designated players and so much money you can spend Look at just, you don't even need to look at the Premier League. Look at Liga Mekis and the CC, like the, the Champions League, the CONCACAF Champions League. You look at just mm-hmm. them. You you see the defenders in the Mexican leagues clearly being able to mark better. They've spent the money. They're doing their job. They're able to pedigate. So for what we have and what's available in the MLS, this is, this is kind of what you end up getting. You, you're really, they spend all their money that they're allowed to on attackers because are you think any of the team in MLS is going to put a uh, designated player position for a defender or use well, up mean, all their, their TAM for a defender? I think it was Portland that did it when they bought 
Liam Ridgewell. I don't know if he was a DP or whether he was Tam, but uh, I know that they they did spend on a, a central defender and hey, it won them a championship. Yeah. Um, you know, having that that one leader in the back line is exactly what TFC is missing right now. Drew Moore, I don't know what it is with him. I don't know if he's just hesitant or mm-hmm. I know he's getting a little bit older. I think he's just slow. Or he... I think he's just relying on the athleticism of Mavinga too much mm. to cover his mistakes. Yeah. But Mavinga is then making mistakes. Right. So what are you relying on? You see, for me, Drew Moore, he's he's not a bad center back. He's just no, very he's painfully average. And then you well, exactly. you put that on top of the fact that he's slow. And he's just he's caught out of position way too many times. And he he I don't think his football brain is switched on half the time to be always in the right place in the right time. You can be slow and you can be a good defender. You know, that we've seen that. But he's not quite clued in. Mm-hmm. And I think a real case can be made for Laurent Simon at this point because it's yeah. not working between these two, clearly. And I think Simon will have that experience, that brain, to just kind of settle the nerves. I know the, his TFC start, is, is the start of his career has been rocky and the majority of the fan base is sort of biased against him from his time at Impact. But you look at him as a player on paper, he could be the mis- he could be the answer. It could, well, it could be worth a shot. And you and you pair him with Westberg, right? You put Westberg and Simon in that squad, you might see a reversal in fortunes. And you know what? You can just at least refresh it, right? Because we know we know Mauro Mavinga and more, right? The three M's there. We know what they are. We know what their strengths and their weaknesses are. But right now, the weaknesses are playing off each other more than their strengths are. So tossing them out, switching them up again, it's the same concept of. You know, I guess in a sense, trial and error, switching them out and mm. seeing what they can do, like changing up Bono, change out Mavinga for, for Westbrook, change out Simon and just put him in the place of, of Moro or something and just see what happens. See if there's a connection, a link. Because the reason why we were so great in 2016 17 season wasn't because we had the star players, it was because we had decent players who mm. worked great together. Yeah. You know, we made a lot of mistakes. But we were able to communicate or just play so effectively that when that mistake was made, somebody covered it or somebody picked it up or somebody was able to read off of it and go, oh, okay, and, and deal with it. But we don't have that right now. That gelling no, is just don't. not there. And right now, the what, what hurts me is there's no excuse basically on the right side of the entire lineup, right, from Moore, Mavinga, Moro, Delgado, Bradley, Azorio. All those guys have been playing together long enough. There should be no excuses why we're having issues. I mean, why did we go away from the three center backs? Like that, that's because that system was a disaster. I mean, realistically though, they were better. <laughs> like the, no, no, it was just bad, dude. Like, <laughs> like I know, like we, we had injury problems and everything, but that was some of the worst football I've seen TSE play. And I know I, I'm I'm like a newer fan, so I don't count. I wasn't there for the toil and trouble of 2009 all to 2014. Yeah, <laughs> everything before it was all of it. Um, to the, yeah. <laughs> I didn't suffer the pain of like yeah, like you said, but. Um, the three five two never really worked for me. I, I don't know. I don't think we had the personnel. And three five two requires intelligent footballers, which we don't have. Not, I mean, not enough of. That's something where you put Simon right in the center of those two center backs, and it might shore it up a little bit, especially if you have a good communicator. Because to be honest, I, 
I, I don't really see the communication between Mavinga and Moore. I feel like there's a break there, as well as you yeah. don't see the communication from Bono to the defenders. See, see, at least with Simon, he could speak French to Mavinga, right? At least <laughs> yeah. they, 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 there might be that link. Yeah, I'm thinking of the green chemistry bar in FIFA now. <laughs> you know, even though they're not Chang, both Chang French. Changuez's managerial 101. Did you put Listen, it together and see were, a green bar? There was, there was, there's no bars, Changuez. I bet you anything Eddie Howe plays FM, okay? And he's done a good job with with Bournemouth. I bet you anything. Anyways. He's buying his own players? I can't buy my player. They won't go into my club. Shit. (laughs) No, no, no. They don't speak the same language and they're not from the same country. So I can't can't put them together. Wait, really? I thought my finger was French speaking. Of course he speaks French. Oh, right. Are you talking about... Okay, never mind. Talk about FIFA. Moving on. <laughs> moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Um, another interesting thing that, that came from this game was uh, Pozzuolo playing quite deep. You know, the, the starting 11 showed him uh, up top with Josie as a 4-4-2, but what was increasingly apparent as the game went on is that he has a very free role. Like, he's on the left, he's on the right, he's up top, he's in the middle, he's deep. And uh, it really annoyed Stephen Caldwell, which gave me great joy. But Caldwell's always annoyed. It's, he's, he's always annoyed. It's so great. Like, I, I feel like Caldwell has never seen a free role before. Um, <laughs> but there was a lot of talk on social media where people were just kind of complaining that Pozzuolo is a bit too deep, he's a bit too deep. I want to see what you guys' thoughts on that were. Like, why was he so deep? Why do you think that was the case? It's a lot of freedom. They've given him a lot of freedom, and I think that's what they should do. He's a player coming from a different league, a much more athletic league, one with, again, as you aptly said, more intelligence. So it's it's good to let him run and, and roam around because you're going to have that freedom and that intelligence start to showcase itself. And he can find his link-ups with the different squad. It happened again with, with Alter or just that goal. You're going to get somebody that clearly has to be used to long plays, long crosses, mm. technical football, and it's going to outpace everybody, confuse them because they're used to getting your position, sticking your position, yeah. right? That's why when Bradley actually picks up his slack and, and tracks back or his forwards as well, it frustrates so many people because they're not used to someone in that position ending up that far back, right. ending up that far forwards. And Pozuelo having both the... Talent and the youth to do that, I think it's going to be such an instrumental way for us to piss off every other team. And that's a great thing to happen. Yeah. I mean, when we had, so I'm going to speak his name, but when Javinka was here and he was dropping. <laughs> he who must not be named. <laughs> <laughs> when, when he was dropping off the front line and picking up the ball, he was able to spray it around. And I think that's when Toronto FC kind of started to. Uh, they, they started to spread the play, make the defensive team work a little bit harder. Um, and from there, you're, you're sort of creating those overloads. You're creating those switches in plays um, that, let's be honest, can confuse MLS defenders. And they can kind of be like, oh, no, what am I going to do? Um, so it's actually a good thing. Um, I like that Pizzolo is dropping a little bit deeper. I don't feel like he has the pace to play right on the back of the, uh, the center defender. Um, and, and it allows... Azario to make a run. It allows De Leon to make a run up there um, and sort of work off of him. He he has great hold-up play um, and he's able to turn players and sort of, uh, you know, make those passes that a lot of other MLS players can't. 
Yeah, those passes which are going to go right through. Ideally, in a perfect world, those pa- if he's in the deeper position, he can make those passes that split the defense that Osorio can then run onto and then claim his 20 goals a season for that golden boot, which he <laughs> loves. Honestly, if Osorio scores 20 goals, all the power to him. I don't think it's ever going to happen. But Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was, I personally, I, I, I don't really understand the the backlash to him being a bit more deeper because I think he realized very, very quickly that, okay, they're parking the bus. I don't know if Vanny anticipated that they would park the bus. I think anybody could have anticipated that. So he definitely gave Pozzuolo license to kind of dictate the game as he saw fit. And when teams park the bus, you have to you have to try something else. You have to try something different. Like, it's not uncommon to see David Silva or Kevin De Bruyne or, you know... Messi. James Milner. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. But <laughs> it's not uncommon, uncommon to see midfielders take the ball and come back with it and try and find different avenues of attack. Spread the ball out wide. Go go left, go right, go forward. You know, but I suppose, I suppose the real question is, is he more useful doing that or would he would it have been more effective if he stayed in that final third and just was the conduit like a very mobile conduit but as long as he stayed harrowing that back line just stretching them like that i think without those mistakes he was great where he was but because of just those couple items in the back that were mistakes we ended up with what we were and it was just the the catch-up game versus Mm. the freedom game take our time let's find some good avenues like we had done with nycfc it was the oh no oh no get a goal, get a goal. And you could tell that was everybody's focus because it went from like, let's take our time to push forwards, push forwards, push forwards. So everybody really did push forwards a lot more than they maybe should have. So I think it was probably the right idea, but I think it was, it was our defense that really forced that hand for him to stay in that same area. Yeah. Well, I mean, when we look at the stats of the actual match, Toronto FC dominated possession. They dominated passing. Mm. Um, so I'm okay with him getting as many touches as possible. We're paying this guy, not necessarily to put the ball in the back of the net, but to make the players around him better. So he, he's doing that so far. So if he wants to touch the ball 300 times a game, I'm cool with it. Um, he, he's already shown that <laughs> he has the quality to spray the ball around and to feed Josie, and that really that's what we need in the final third. I noticed that. It's like the, our fullbacks are taking up wider positions because they know Potswala can find them. And that's... That's perfect. Yeah, it's the little things that a good player can unlock in your team. And that's that's one of them is if you can suddenly play in a way that is a little bit, you know, different from the way that teams expect you to, it can give you a little bit of a surprise factor, that surprise edge. And right now, you know, it's only been two games, so the league doesn't know what Pozzuolo can really do. We know a little bit more because we're watching him with great intent. Like when mo- most players, when most rival fans when they watch their team play against somebody away they're more concerned about how their team is doing especially at this part of the season where you want to just talk about how good your defense is offenses that sort of thing you're more focused on yourself but um yeah no he didn't he didn't he had that wonderful assist um he didn't get a goal though so he will i think because of this fly under the radar but i'm just a little concerned that our fans have the wrong impression of what Pozzuolo is because of his debut mm-hmm. like because he had two goals and, his, and and a wonderful assist too i think they think like, he's going to come out and be a joseph martinez you know pacey striker or a juvenco times too or yeah, that's not what he is too. though right we have to be yeah. realistic he's he's the linchpin between um, you know, the midfielders and the attack. He's not the attacker. And that's, they're going to see it and they're going to come forwards really quickly. And I think Toronto fans at first are going to be 
underwhelmed, underwhelmed, underwhelmed. But if they see that that assist, marks start getting higher and higher. Toronto fans cling to everything and anything mm-hmm. they can. And as soon as you know, you hear just Gareth Wheeler just going, "Oh, it's you know, you see, you look at the assist count he has." They're gonna then they're gonna start talking about that and understand where his importance is. So. Hopefully that's where it goes. Really, he needs to get his foot down in there and focus on getting something good assist in. Because just as I said before in the last podcast too, it's not about the goals he scores, but the ones he helps create. And I'd be happy if he'd ever scored another goal the rest of the <laughs> season. If he starts plowing in assists, that works out just as well for me. Like, 100%. As long as Schweinsteiger doesn't have more royalties like that, then uh, we're in good shape. So honestly, I think, I think we didn't win that game because Schweinsteiger was immense in the last 10 minutes. We really were. We was. really were pulling the strings. Anyways, it's good to be positive, not good to be hyperbolic like Gareth Wheeler. Um, and the fact remains that oh, we I are, hate him so much. <laughs> <laughs> the fact remains we are still unbeaten after four games, three wins and a draw. We have ten points Woo! in the Eastern Conference. We're second with two games in hand of the current first place team, which is LAFC, who did a number on DC United. Mm-hmm. Like they, they really did a number on them. Um, a Rooney-less DC United, third highest goal difference as well, too. So it's not just like we're there based on points with two games in hand, one game just beyond Seattle, but we only have one goal less and goal difference, and again, games in right. hand. So it's a pretty significant score. I think uh, honestly, I think uh, Justin would have been really, really happy about the DC United score because we saw the old Rooney come out getting a straight red card. <laughs> <laughs> What a silly tackle. He's showing that his true funny. colors. He's showing his true colors. That, that mm. red. He just missed the red, okay? This is fine. But, um, yeah, no, things are looking good for Toronto FC. Things are looking good in the MLS. We're in a good position. We haven't lost the, the any any points so far. Well, we haven't lost a game, rather. And we have the most goals scored in the, in the uh, Eastern Conference, which is very, very good. Only LAFC have more goals overall in the, in, uh, the MLS total with 19. We have yeah. 12. And again, those couple couple goals that we conceded is why we're we're not doing super great in terms of difference, but it was it was quite the week for, for MLS. Again, with major games, you know, four goals for LAFC, zero to DC United. You know, Red Bulls losing two to one to Minnesota United. Portland Timbers, again, remaining at the bottom. They're hot garbage. Well I can't Atlanta believe San Jose beat well, not only that, did they beat them? They beat them conceitedly with three goals yep. to nil, and they haven't really had any base shakeups. And Seattle Sanders only just beat Real Salt Lake with one goal to nil. So this has been a, a very interesting week in terms of shakeups. And New York City FC again managed another draw against Montreal Impact. So this whole week has been quite decisive in the fact that whoever you thought at the beginning of the year was going to do something you are wrong mm-hmm. 100 <laughs> drastically wrong and we we certainly are embodying that spirit, spirit quite nicely as well everybody wrote us off right we even we wrote us off like shit after the the champions league performances damn nobody had any hope for this team but we're doing well and it's been an exciting week it could get yet a little more exciting though robin Aryan robin linked to tfc Peter. oh it's gonna this okay so as much as i like robin i feel like this is a retirement move this mm-hmm. is exactly what the mls is trying to get away from why would we yeah. spend tam money on him or why would we pay down bradley's dp contract to sign robin for maybe one season i mean he's gonna be injured half the time he has to remember we do play teams that still play on turf 
So is he not going to play those games? Is he going to pull a Kawhi Leonard load management <laughs> thing and just not not play in certain games? Uh, no, it, this is. I think it'd be one of those ones where he comes in and he's great for us for a season. Like he's our booster. He's our you know Ibrahim. Because keep in mind, Ibrahimovic is made of a combination of glass and paper mache. So if he can still find a way, and the to heart of a lion. Goals, Don't forget the heart of a lion. Sorry, the heart of a lion that's got arthritis, and <laughs> it's just. It's one of those ones where we just we can utilize his his skills and his talents again to just bolster a midfield and not hope for a guy that's going to get a bunch of goals, but to just bring up the best, especially in these younger guys that we've signed, Akinola and such, yeah, and really kind of give them some some literal world class experience and knowledge that'll just help us. Yeah, it might not be the best investment, but it'll be a solid year that everyone in that team can really take with them and go. And he's not a he's not a forward role. So we don't have to demand so much of him. He can be a very good playmaker and really just sort of command the field in that way. See if he was gonna be a playmaker, I'd say yes, sure, why not? But we already have Pozuela there. He could be good as a backup role, but I don't think you want to come to our team as a as a backup anything, really, backup winger, striker, whatever. So he'd want to start. We could use him, like honestly, as a winger, because we don't have good wingers. We have Nick de Leon, who is spirited. But, uh, you know, it's only been four games and we can already tell he's quite limited. Um, like he will get, he's probably good for five, six goals, but Robin could be good for a lot more if he stays fit. But for me, I have to agree with Peter. I, I take a much more holistic view to, to all of this. Like we don't want a 35 year old coming to, uh, coming to our team. We want somebody young. We want somebody hungry. We want somebody who isn't just going to play for a paycheck. Now I'm not saying, that's not to say that Robin would play for a paycheck. I'm just saying if we're going to spend that kind of money anyways, there's so many, so many better options. We could, well, we could lure a better bench, options. We could lure a bench player for say like a Dortmund or a, a Liverpool or a city or even a PSG to play for us. If we're going to spend that kind of money anyways. Well, speaking of, speaking of, of money and wingers again, James, uh, Ibikame is the Nigerian player. He plays for Real Zargoza in the Spanish league. Again, he's 23. He's a fantastic winger. Absolutely fantastic winger. He's kind of been plagued by a team that's just absolutely atrocious. He's been doing a lot of great runs lately. And again, a lot of opportunities been created in terms of his, his passes, his consistency. So he's been linked very heavily with Toronto as a possibility to sign him. And again, very extensively, like versus the, the wild rumor that came out of nowhere. This one's been kind of building up a lot of steam over the past little while. So that may be an option for Toronto as well. And something like that I'd be fine with. I mean, he, he's a pacey athletic winger. Uh, Robin's kind of lost a step uh, compared to what he used to be. So realistically, you're getting a shell of what Arian Robin used to be. Um, I don't know how much of a mentor he would be. Obviously, he's done it. He's won things. He's won the Champions League. He's won, yeah. he's won the Bundesliga, which is awesome. But at the same time, it... I, you gotta wonder why why he would choose to come here. He could make so much more if he went to like China, or he went to uh, Saudi Arabia. <laughs> you know, you never well, know. There, I mean, the the Dutch do love uh, Canadians generally. They true. have a very high opinion of us. Um, so I think he he of all the places to go, I think this would definitely not be the worst thing for him. Um, plus, you know, since Jovinko left, we have lost the ability to cut inside which is really important. 
So it'd be a good addition to the squad. Especially in MLS. Um, Especially in MLS. <laughs> we did have a we did have a request from Justin, uh, who isn't hosting. He asked us to mention uh, Valencia potentially moving to DC United. So there you go. We mentioned it. Anyways, moving on <laughs> to to uh, takes and misses. Now we haven't done this for a couple of weeks now, but I thought it'd be fun to bring it back and uh, let's see what what you guys came up with. Peter, what's your take and miss for the week? Uh, my miss has to be Dortmund getting blown out by Bayern Oof. Munich, absolutely Oof. destroyed. And being uh, being a pseudo Dortmund supporter that I am, um, having been there for Riviera Derby, um, yeah, not not good. I was really excited to watch the match. I was, you know, uh, had my uh, IPTV box going on on the match, and it ended pretty quickly. I mean, Hummel scoring early, and yeah, it just wasn't bad. I mean, it wasn't good for Dortmund. It was great for mm. Munich. How how much more of a statement can you make when you go in? destroy the team that you're you're vying for for the Bundesliga yeah it's absolutely. one of those situations where if Dortmund had even come out and made it a match it, it would have been okay but they didn't even make it a match I don't think I think Neuer had to make one save the whole game so uh I mean they kind of left Berkey out to dry but you know it's the Bundesliga at the end of the day I love the Bundesliga but you know it is a two-horse race right now yeah. um and my take for this week I mean the CPL starting that's always great yeah Support support local football. Yeah, that's yeah, that's yeah. I guess yeah. Again, that's your tagline. So that that has to be your take. They're I guess. in Dominican right now, doing their uh, the end of their preseason. I think they're back on the fifteenth, and then they go and uh, you know have a few preseason matches here before there's their inaugural season, um, April twenty seventh again. Yeah, hundred percent. Andre, what are your takes and misses? My my take probably has to be where we are in the league in terms of MLS mm-hmm. it's very confident it's bringing me a lot of joy it's it's letting me have such good relief knowing that we're eight points ahead of Atlanta United and we still have two games to go that brings me so much joy in life <laughs> I can I can finally pretend like my parents are happy with me which is great <laughs> but Beautiful. I, I think my miss is gonna have to go to Bobby Warshaw. Yes, Bobby, Bobby Warshaw, the the quote unquote writing talking about MLS extra time host. He's an idiot. I was waiting for this. I was waiting for this. this. Is the perfect segue to explain that this is the hottest of takes that we were not very happy with. Now, what Bobby Warshaw, Bobby Warshaw was what exactly, Andre? Can you say it again? Oh, he he is the host of the MLS-sponsored, Major League Soccer-sponsored, Extra Time After Show. Yes. And he went on the air towards the end of the podcast, and he advocated for people to stop Pozzuolo by kicking him. And, look, this is this is never really... This is not anything new. This has always been in the game where if somebody's more talented than you and you don't know how to stop him from just pure and fair football, bring him down. Be a bit dirty about it. And it is an attitude that has per- sort of persisted over the years. Even though it's dirty, it's not in the spirit of the game, it's it's horrible. It To see it being actively advocated for, that's... No, that's not right for me. Advocating for a red card for somebody is just absolutely atrocious and I, I know to say it, this is my my 
my miss of the week. This is my prick of the week. Like, <laughs> That's a new you thing. Are just <laughs> next level. And and it literally and this is this is quote for quote. How did nobody from NYCFC not kick him after the Paneka? Your first penalty kick in the league? You don't do that. Someone from NYCFC needs to make a statement. I hope somebody from Chicago does, referencing to our game coming up. How in the world, when you look like that and you claim to be a former player, can you advocate a red card offense against somebody? I understand when you say, well, it's part of the game, and, and that was his defense afterwards too, but you're advocating for it. He's adv- Don't be that dick. He's advocating for a violent course of action because he didn't like how a penalty was taken? Like, that's like, part of the I, game, too. That's more part of the game than what, what you're suggesting. I advocate. And you know what? Say what you want. But were you going to say the same thing? I didn't hear any claims about that from Ibrahimovic. He's basically brand new to the league. Yeah. I didn't hear it when Messi did it. Lionel Messi did it. I didn't hear it Cristiano Suarez. Ronaldo did it. I didn't hear the, any of those claims. The, the list yet, goes on. It's small-minded people who think that the only way you can stop a player is by cutting out the legs from underneath them. And Bobby Warshaw just gone and made himself the most small-minded host in big giant quotation marks of an MLS after show, big giant quotation marks. Mm. I, I can't believe that he would say something like that. Like a new player to the league, it's just, it's- an exciting player to the league, and you're telling other players to, you know, injure him. You're, you're going to take a player off the field who is basically giving you something to talk about. You're going to take him off the field and lessen a team, Toronto FC, based on the fact that he scored a penalty in a in a in a different way. Yeah. Like that'd be like you saying, next time Messi does a panenka, break his leg. Just because they have something going on and it's working for them doesn't mean you can say, hey, I know it's part of the game, but you should really just kick him. There was no logic to it. There was no reason to what he said. What he said is just really distasteful, really not in the spirit of the game. And I get the the excuse that he made. He said it's part of the game, you know, and that's fair, shithousing is a game, but you don't coach your players to do it. You do it, well, like people, when they kick people on the field, it's because they're frustrated, it's because they, they've been given the ring around the rosy, and it's because that they don't know what else to do, they feel helpless. So if you advocate for feeling helpless. If you advocate to your players, you know, go kick Pozzuolo because you're, what you're basically saying is you're not good enough to take him down tactically. You're not good enough to make a tackle on him. You're not good enough to mark him. What kind of message does that say to you, to, to, to the players themselves that are trying to, to put their heart and soul on the line to play a good game of football? It's, it was a reprehensible remark and I really hope that he reconsiders his stance on that. So let's throw it out another side. Okay, so the NFL... When it came out that the New Orleans Saints coach, Sean Payton, was paying extra for his players to injure players on the other team, he got suspended and fined. Yeah. I, I know that but Warshaw obviously isn't in a managerial role in the, the MLS, but at the same time, they, they have to look at something because he's advocating for injuring players. So I, I think that's completely off. And when you're trying to be a marquee or something new in the league or beneficial to, to advocate for this you're not you're not pushing to bring new players in when you when that's no. the, the when that's the league sponsored attitude which even if it's not it seems like it because they're the one who put it out why in the world are you gonna go i'm gonna go yeah. here they're yeah, advocating if you're, if you're a good player, player not a chance 
Man, we, we should call that guy out and be like, if he wants to come on the podcast, he can. But we're not going to call him Bobby Warshaw because to me, that's just a little bitch name. So, <laughs> Oh, now he's definitely coming on the podcast. Good. That's, a, that's some real strategy right there. That's an <laughs> FM strategy right there. Anyways, oh, yes. yeah. let's, let's wrap this up. My take of the week has to be, well, it has to be Salah breaking his duck. Like, everyone was happy. It was a really good goal, world-class goal. Um, and it was just a good moment for him, finally. And, you know, it's a biased take for sure, Liverpool fan and whatnot, but I was happy and it made me happy. Uh, close second was Eden Hazard's amazing goal today, running through five players, which Andre doesn't think was very good. But you know what? It was a great goal. And, you know, West that's what we're... defenders are pylons. <laughs> <laughs> very true. But it was, you know... It's it's something only you usually see from Messi, and to see Hazard do it was fantastic. To think that those two would be head to head against each other next year with Hazard at Real Madrid makes me very wet. But um, <laughs> my miss of the week has to go to Bono again. It's just enough's enough. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, that's going to do it for us uh, at the Starting Eleven podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast media. Once again, I'm your guest host, Chengiz Khan. Justin Barrow should be back next week. If not, then you'll hear more of this disjointed hosting <laughs> that I've tried to do today. I hope it wasn't too bad for you. And for the Starting Eleven, Peter Robinson. Support local football. Andre McRae. Gorgeous podcast for the beautiful game. <laughs> and myself. I promise to give a fake fact next week. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.